Hearing dark stories in a podcast is one thing, but living in darkness is quite another. If you're living with depression and trying to deal with it using alcohol, illegal drugs, or other bad influences, there is a way out of the dark. Call 1-800-273-8255. With the FMLA, you can even take a leave of absence from your job and return to it once you've found help. 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. This episode is dedicated to the men and women of our armed forces and first responders. Whether you are currently serving or have served in the past, you are appreciated. It is because of your courage and sacrifice that we enjoy the freedoms and liberties we hold dear. And I, for one, appreciate every single one of you for protecting what many of us take for granted. So thank you. Stories and content in Weird Darkness can be disturbing for some listeners and is intended for mature audiences only. Parental discretion is strongly advised. There is probably no cryptid out there that is as cited, talked about, and as well-known as Bigfoot. It is the rock star of cryptids the one that even people with no interest at all in cryptozoology have heard of, right up there with the Loch Ness Monster. Ask most people what they think these creatures are, and you will more likely than not get the answer that they are some sort of massive, undiscovered, ape-like animal that lurks in remote areas of the world. Yet, what if Bigfoot, at least in some cases, is no animal at all? or at least not like any known by us. What if these creatures are something from not only beyond our understanding, but from beyond our very reality? I'm Darren Marlar, and this is Weird Darkness. Welcome, weirdos! This is Weird Darkness. Here you'll find stories of the paranormal, supernatural, legends, lore, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. Coming up in this episode of Weird Darkness… Haunted by a shadowy spirit creature which they say lives inside their home, a Gasparillo family is now seeking spiritual help to remove their unwanted guest. Coyotes are of the dog family and are formidable and deadly hunters, but could they also have the ability to shapeshift? Shortly after the terrorist attack on New York on September 11, 2001, another terrorist attack began. This time it was targeting public figures. The weapon of choice was anthrax, and the method of delivery was the U.S. Postal Service. A very strange case involving time travel and power to change timelines was reported in 1977. The case caused a sensation worldwide. Had Sid Hurwich, the creator of the time-altering machine, really found a way to alter historical events? In 1888, London was terrorized by the serial murderer of women who called himself Jack the Ripper. 
four years later, another Jack came into existence, this one murdering men, and this time in New York City. And people have been chasing Bigfoot for more than 60 years, yet still we have no definitive physical proof of its existence. Could the explanation be that Bigfoot is visiting us from another dimension? We'll begin with that story. Now, bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, and come with me into the weird darkness. The traditional assumption concerning hairy hominids such as Bigfoot is of course that they are biological entities, flesh and blood creatures of a species that has simply not been discovered and properly described by science – yet. In this paradigm, these things are living, breathing animals hiding out in the remote wilds of our planet, skulking about in the shadows and skirting about just beyond our ability to find them constantly evading and confounding us. In many ways, this seems to make sense. After all, there are many examples of such robust ape-like creatures and early versions of Homo sapiens in the fossil record of some areas of the world that could provide a link to an explanation for what has been seen. There are also many fairly large animals throughout history that have managed to remain hidden and which long inhabited the same realm as cryptids before their eventual discoveries, such as the platypus, the okapi, the western lowland gorilla, the Komodo dragon, and more. On the surface, it all seems at least possible that relic populations of hairy bipeds could be out there, tucked away in the remote wilderness of our planet, away from our prying eyes and rampant exploration. Yet, in recent years, the age-old entrenched idea that Bigfoot and other creatures like it could only be biological animals has experienced more and more criticism from both skeptics and a few cryptozoologists alike. The most commonly stated problem is a lack of any fossil evidence in many of the areas where some of these entities have been seen, such as North America, Australia, and, bizarrely, England. This is actually not a major setback in and of itself, as fossils tend to be very rare in the first place, with a rather incomplete record, and we are constantly finding whole new prehistoric species through newly found fossils. The problem is that there has been no reliable fossil evidence of anything even remotely like Bigfoot in many of the places where they are routinely seen. These creatures would not exist in a vacuum there should be at least transitional species, or something like a primate that could be somewhat connected to Bigfoot. Yet there is nothing. In this sense, the problem is not necessarily that there are no fossils of Bigfoot, but rather that there is a complete void of anything in the record of North America and some other locations that could even be tentatively associated with something like it. With the rather sketchy nature of fossils to begin with, it's not necessarily the nail in the coffin for a flesh-and-blood Bigfoot, 
but it is a rather glaring anomaly to contend with. Another thing that seems to be a strike against the notion of a biological Bigfoot is simply that these creatures have been seen absolutely everywhere, and by scores of people from all walks of life in increasingly urbanized areas. Look through sightings reports archives from organizations such as the Bigfoot Field Research Organization and you will find that there are hundreds and hundreds of sightings of these creatures from all over. At times, it seems as if Bigfoot is spotted even more than some actual known animals, such as moose, cougars, bears, wolverines, and so on. Taking the sheer number of sightings reports into account, it's increasingly difficult to hold on to the notion that these are elusive and rarely seen creatures relegated to isolated remote places where they can hide from mankind, for if they are hiding, they are doing a very bad job at it as they are spotted all the time. If even half of these reports are genuine, then this is actually a rather well-witnessed large animal, not some barely-glimpsed specter. Bigfoot is apparently widespread as well, as then you have the fact that these reports come in from pretty much everywhere, including places where they have no right to be at all. Every single state of the Union has Bigfoot reports. Yes, including Hawaii. Bigfoot-like creatures have also been spotted in other unlikely places as well, including, as I mentioned, England and Australia, neither of which have anything whatsoever in their natural history at all to suggest an animal such as this should be there. Yet, there they are. Why should this be? If you put together the vast number of sightings and the widespread nature of these reports, if any of it is to be remotely believed, then it is not difficult to get the impression that Bigfoot cannot really be classified as a super-rare beast that lives in only the most remote, uninhabited locales, and it subsequently gets more and more difficult to defend how they could have possibly gone without being discovered in any sense, especially in this modern age. Indeed, there has not been any definitive physical evidence of these creatures, despite all of these sightings. Sure, there are footprints and other signs of their activity such as rock piles, shelters, and so on, but as for blood, reliable hairs, a carcass, or even a fragment of a bone, there is none. Remember that these are creatures seen all throughout the United States and other places, often near highways and roads, yet there has never been a single trace of a body. It does seem rather odd that this should be the case with such a widely seen beast. Of course, if one is to ask a hardcore skeptic why any of this should be, you will get a rather simple reply – that Bigfoot simply does not exist and never has. Here is another notion – that it is all a nation-spanning urban legend that sprawls across cultures and is all a tapestry of misidentifications, misinformation, hoaxes, and downright lies. Ask a skeptic, and they will say that the reason there is no solid physical evidence or fossils is that Bigfoot has never existed in any form in the first place. However, here we run into problems as well. To outright dismiss or deny every single piece of evidence we do have out of hand, no matter how circumstantial, 
as well as the testimony of hundreds if not thousands of people, is to suggest that this is one of the most complicated, elaborate hoaxes ever pulled off by humankind. While there are surely those who have fabricated sightings accounts or pulled hoaxes, can we say that every single person who has ever reported a Bigfoot is mistaken, a prankster, or worse yet, a liar? Are there so many people, often experienced or reliable witnesses known for their honesty, who would make up this stuff on such a large scale? What's more, are so many people out roaming around in the forest faking tracks and other signs of Bigfoot, often with rather compelling results, or cavorting about in gorilla costumes? In some ways, to suggest this is all some giant delusion and hoax is almost harder to accept than that there is a giant ape-like hominid wandering the wilds. So, if Bigfoot is seen by so many, yet leaves behind so little strong evidence and has still remained undiscovered, and if these people are not liars and delusional, then perhaps the explanation for Bigfoot lies somewhere else altogether. And this is where things get really weird. One admittedly controversial and outlandish idea that has nevertheless gained more and more momentum and traction in recent years is that rather than a flesh-and-blood animal that has simply remained undiscovered, we are perhaps dealing with an entity from some other reality or dimension that instead of earthbound biological creatures, we are encountering interdimensional interlopers that shuffle back and forth across whatever membrane that separates our realm either by accident or design. This idea in general is not new to the world of the paranormal. Indeed, researcher and author John Keel, most famous for his book The Mothman Prophecies, was well known for his speculation that some unexplained phenomena could possibly originate with what he termed ultra-terrestrials, or beings from a parallel dimension. Keel reasoned that their tentative nature in this reality and ability to shift between domains would help to explain some phenomena in which mysterious entities were widely seen yet frustratingly unable to be concretely proven or cataloged. This could be applied to ghosts, aliens, demons, or even Bigfoot, and eminent UFO author and researcher Jacques Vallée often cited these ultra-terrestrials as being perhaps behind the UFO phenomenon, rather than nuts-and-bolts spaceships from some distant planet. The idea that Bigfoot could be interdimensional in origin would also go a long way toward explaining a variety of other anomalies that have proven to be inconvenient to the notion that we're dealing with a flesh-and-blood creature. The list of such strangeness connected to the Bigfoot phenomena is long. Reports of Bigfoot tracks that lead to nowhere, disappear in mid-stride, or end at sheer walls of rock such as a creature could not possibly hope to climb, are not uncommon. Many Bigfoot sightings possess a definite feel of the paranormal, such as accounts of the creatures vanishing into thin air or disappearing into flashes of light or shape-changing, as well as invisible, vanishing, or telepathic Bigfoot. Then there are mysterious orbs of light or sudden, inexplicable bright flashes that accompany many reports details which are often downplayed or even omitted, 
as well as the numerous technical malfunctions that seemed to plague those who would try to record the creatures, as well as their ability to generally avoid camera traps and other such electronic gear. On top of all of this, there are the numerous permutations of the creature spotted all over the United States and elsewhere, such as dogmen, goatmen, sheep squatch, bat squatch, werewolves, and lizardmen, which open up a whole world of high strangeness that becomes more and more difficult to reconcile with any sort of flesh and blood animals this world of ours possesses. The idea that Bigfoot is an interdimensional entity may sound, at first, to be absurd, but considering all of the boxes this potential explanation ticks, is it really? Is it really so far-fetched if one is to accept that Bigfoot is real in any form? Indeed, such ideas are being pursued more and more to explain a wide variety of what has traditionally been seen as paranormal phenomena, and even in mainstream science our understanding of physics and the universe has increasingly opened up the possibility that other universes exist beside our own, even bleeding over into ours. Such an interdimensional link is being seen more and more plausible as both a scientific theory and as a possible thread that runs through it all. One paranormal researcher named William Hall has said of this, it used to be that the UFO people didn't talk to the ghost people because they were a little weird and nobody would talk to the Bigfoot people because they were crazy. I found out we cannot continue to do that. In reality, quantum physics is leading us there. It's meaningless to postulate at this point as to how or why these entities might do this. We wouldn't even know where to begin at this point. However, considering that this theoretical interdimensional travel by these beings could possibly be explained by science as we know it, none of this would even be technically paranormal at all, but rather an effect of natural phenomena that we simply don't understand yet. In this sense, such interdimensional interlopers would not be supernatural in any sense, just utilizing features of laws of the universe that simply lie beyond our understanding at this point. Paranormal researcher Rob Riggs gave his spin on this on the podcast After Dark. He said, We always want to jump in and say, that's extra-dimensional or paranormal, but you know, I think we may simply be talking about creatures that have access to physical spaces that humans cannot perceive. That they, in fact, are three-dimensional physical creatures, but they're able to go into spaces that lie outside our perception because they're outside our reality tunnel that somehow these creatures enter into spaces that we have not mentally tuned into. Nevertheless, the interdimensional Bigfoot theory is, at this point, still very controversial among cryptozoologists, many of whom cling to the flesh-and-blood explanation tooth and nail, and consider any other explanation woo-woo and an affront to their field. To even mention such an idea on some Bigfoot forums or at Bigfoot conventions will get you the cold shoulder at best, and laughed out of the room at worst, and it is actually rather shocking at times how close-minded some in the field can be with any theory that doesn't quite see eye-to-eye with what they think. In many respects, these cryptozoologists are every bit as dismissive of the interdimensional theory as skeptics are of the idea of Bigfoot to begin with, 
which could, actually, be hindering finding out any answers either way, as it forces us into closed-minded, preconceived avenues of inquiry and creates divides between different camps who are all, at least ostensibly, searching for the truth. One cryptozoologist named James R. Hammack has explained of this attitude toward interdimensional explanations within cryptozoology. While many cryptozoologists and cryptozoology supporters find such theories ridiculous and often laugh them off, we would all do well to remember that the so-called mainstream of science has much the same reaction when presented with the possibility of Sasquatch existing at all. If we hope for mainstream scientists to keep an open mind, we must lead by example and not waste time and energy that would be better spent searching for evidence fighting amongst ourselves. Of course, not all cryptozoologists are so resistant to the idea, and there has even been the idea that flesh-and-blood cryptids, such as Bigfoot, can coexist with theories of more interdimensional entities, that they are not mutually exclusive. For instance, there could very well be real biological hairy hominids in some areas of the world, and perhaps even a flesh-and-blood Bigfoot in some areas, but that these creatures are also joined in the habitat by other, more mysterious entities from another reality. There is not necessarily a need to favor one over the other, and famed cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman has said of this, So as not to come off as a hypocrite, I must point out that I have investigated and written about winged humanoids, dogman werewolves, goatmen, lizardmen, mermaids, and a myriad of other non-human entities. If they exist, these apparitions are most certainly paranormal in nature, interdimensional, extraterrestrial, demonic, choose your own wording. The difference with Bigfoot slash Sasquatch is that it's clearly represented in our fossil history in the form of robust hominids from the Pleistocene. That makes its existence very viable in the natural world. I respect everyone's right to their opinion and don't make a habit of questioning anyone's personal experiences. If you believe you've seen a Bigfoot materialize or vanish, it may very well be that there is a supernatural phenomenon that chooses to take the form of a giant hairy humanoid, seemingly related to Bigfoot but only superficially similar. Maybe this is true, and that we're dealing with a spectrum of disparate phenomena that range from real flesh-and-blood animals to other more paranormal or woo-woo explanations. Perhaps the answers lie somewhere in between these different ideas, depending on the case. But it seems the full truth will possibly elude us if we're not willing to at least admit that there are certain holes in the theory of these creatures as solely undiscovered animals that have not been satisfactorily proven and hold firmly to the flesh-and-blood hypothesis in every single case. I don't mean to particularly endorse the idea of an interdimensional Bigfoot here, nor to even say that a flesh-and-blood Bigfoot is impossible, yet this does not cover the full range of the phenomenon at large. I only meant to suggest that, in light of the various anomalies and oddities that can be seen across the full spectrum of the Bigfoot phenomenon, which are often inconsistent with a normal animal as we know it, perhaps we need to at least consider other possibilities, no matter how outlandish or even absurd they may seem at first. Maybe we need to think outside of the box, to seek fresh avenues to pursue in order to shine new light into the darkness of the unknown and illuminate beyond the edges of what we can now see. 
in the considerable morass of all the ideas and theories swirling around about Bigfoot, in the end it can be basically distilled into a few choices. We can either believe sightings, reports, and the evidence so far have merit, and thus accept that Bigfoot perhaps really exists, or we can dismiss it all as a grand elaborate hoax. If we are to take the former, then we can choose to deal with it as strictly a biological animal as we uncomfortably struggle with the growing improbability of it going undiscovered so long in every state of the Union and places where it should not be without a shred of concrete evidence. In that case, we must also accept all sightings reports as being potentially real, including ones that have uncomfortable paranormal tones which can be hard to reconcile with an animal as we know it, and so must wrestle with this conundrum. Or we can concede that at least some of it is something perhaps weirder than we like to admit, whether that is interdimensional phenomena or something else. Maybe we have to consider for a moment that the Bigfoot phenomenon might be stranger than we imagine, perhaps even stranger than we can imagine. Up next, haunted by a shadowy spirit creature which they say lives inside their home, a Gasparilla family is now seeking spiritual help to remove their unwanted guest. Coyotes are of the dog family and are formidable and deadly hunters, but could they also have the ability to shapeshift? And shortly after the terrorist attacks, September 11, 2001, another terrorist attack began, this time with anthrax through the U.S. Postal Service. These stories and more when Weird Darkness returns. If you're not already a patron of Marlar House, now is the perfect time to become one. Be one of the first 100 people to become an official weirdo before the end of this month, and you'll automatically receive a limited-edition official weirdo coffee mug. The current Jester Skull design, it disappears forever at the end of this month or once we gain 100 more patrons, whichever comes first. I repeat, I will never release a coffee mug with this design ever again. So, become a patron now before it's too late. You can see the mug for yourself and learn more about what else you get as an official weirdo at WeirdDarkness.com. Here's an honest question. How are you supposed to know what to do with your money? Very few of us are exposed to meaningful advice on how to manage our finances. Even fewer have the means to get professional financial guidance. Betterment is a platform that was built to do something radical, to give accessible financial advice that puts you first. If you're like most Americans, your money is probably sitting in a savings account, likely earning you next to nothing. Maybe you have an investment account that you're not really sure what to do with. Betterment can help you make sense of what to do with your money. Investing involves risk, but you don't have to know the ins and the outs of the stock market to start investing for your future. Betterment's technology will put your money to work choosing the stocks and strategies that are right for you, because we know you have other things to do. Betterment's platform can even provide guidance on what financial goals make sense for you. Give your money a new home with Betterment, peace of mind included. Download the Betterment app today. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T for the betterment of you. You want the best sleep of your life? Well, I've already told you about how much I love my pillow, but now they have these incredible Giza Dreams bed sheets. 
These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza, which is only grown in a small region where the Sahara Desert, Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River all meet to create the ideal weather conditions for growing Giza cotton. It's ultra-soft, it's breathable, it stays cool, also it's very durable. The Giza sheets are available in a variety of different colors – I went with dark gray for mine – and they come with both a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. I'm sleeping on these Giza Dreams bed sheets right now, and I can honestly say the first night you sleep on these sheets, you will not want to sleep on anything else. These even beat out the 1500 thread count sheets that I was using before. Well, right now, Weird Darkness listeners can save 30% and get free shipping when you use the promo code WEIRD at MyPillow.com, or you can call 800-945-7192. Again, use the promo code WEIRD for 30% off your new bed sheets, including free shipping at MyPillow.com. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Want to hire top talent? Try ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology finds the right people for you and actively invites them to apply. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash WeirdDarkness. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash WeirdDarkness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Krishna Mathura, 60 years old, of Hilltop Drive, Gasparillo, a town in southern Trinidad, says over the past seven months, a three-foot-tall, spirit-like creature believed to be a buck has been roaming its home. The house is perched on an incline overlooking the central range. It's fenced, and Mathura says the supernatural occurrences have been causing them sleepless nights. According to Caribbean folklore, the buck has ties with both Guyanese and African folklore. They're believed to have originated in West Africa, where the short races, pygmies, were believed to have magical powers. They were referred to as Baku, which in many West African languages means little brother or short man. There are also stories of rich Trinidadians who come upon their wealth not through hard work but rather through a trip to the forests of Guyana to capture one of these little wish-granters. The bucks usually live in dark places like addicts and usually demand blood and milk. During an exclusive interview with Guardian Media at the family's home, Mathura said last year that his wife, Balmati, and son, Govinda, began hearing a voice inside the house. The voice was telling Balmati that he wanted sex. Mathura, who retired from his workplace recently, said it was only when he started staying home that he realized what his family was going through. The creature, Mathura claimed, has also been eating valuable racing pigeons that he rears behind his home. Their goats have also been poisoned and sausages, meat, and other items are eaten from the fridge. Balmati claimed the creature appears and vanishes before their eyes. She said last week she was in the living room when the tablecloth flew up and went flying out the window. Govinda was also there. They chased after it, and Brahmati said it dropped in some bushes and then disappeared. This is not the only item that vanished. Govinda said an expensive vase and a picture of Jesus Christ also went missing along with their Bible. Playing a recording of a voice he claimed belonged to the buck, Govinda said the creature admitted to stealing the Bible and the picture to take to his boss. If there's one thing I won't do is lie to you, 
I carry it by the boss and he tell me bring it back before I get in trouble, the voice on the audio drawled. In another recording, the voice said he came from Jamaica. I do afraid pundit Ramesh, I do afraid no pastor, the voice said. A deep-throated laugh and the mewing of a cat were also recorded as evidence of the spiritual creature. Govinda said the voices were recorded at nights. Govinda used clay and created a homemade idol to ward away the buck, but Mathura said this had not worked. We tried everything. We burn incense, gugul, sprinkle salt, garlic, red lavender. We called the pundit and the pastor. They told us it is a buck. The thing distressing us. We cannot sleep. Every night we hearing banging. It loves to wake us up. Every time we can hear it through the cracks in the house saying, oi, he added. Govinda said the buck is a short, fat man with a fat face, big hair and big ears. He doesn't walk on his foot. He walks on his toes. His left hand is on his right side and his right hand is on his left. He does cuss me. A few days ago, he came with a match to burn down my father's car. Most times he is invisible, but I could hear his voice. He follows us, Govinda said. Pastor Dina Ramnarine from the Christ Crusaders Assembly in Whiteland confirmed to the TNT Guardian she had visited the family and said she believed they were facing a demonic attack. When I visited them, it was almost night, and I prayed with them, and they said they slept well. I told them that they have to pray and believe in God, Ramnarine said. Asked whether she believed it was a buck, she said yes. I've encountered things like that because I worked in the interior of Guyana. I've seen a buck in Guyana, so I believe them. We cannot be afraid of it. We have to take authority, and the Lord delivers, Ramnarine said. The buck will usually beat up the house, whistle at them. You'll see things flying all over the room. It will take time for it to leave, but they have to stop playing with it by talking about it and talking to it. Just ignore it and call to Jesus for deliverance. Coyote is one of the most mysterious and magical creatures within the mythology of Native Americans and is noted for its shape-shifting abilities. Before we get to that issue, however, a bit of background information on the animal is first required. Coyotes are of the dog family and are formidable and deadly hunters. While they typically go for small prey like rabbits and squirrels, they have been known to take on fully grown deer and even cattle. They're noted for their swimming skills and for the fact that they can run at high speeds. That all said, there is another side to the coyote, one which revolves around shape-shifting. Perceived almost unanimously by Native Americans as a trickster-like animal, coyote is said to have the ability to control the weather, specifically rain and storms. And like so many other trickster entities, such as fairies and goblins, coyotes can be friendly, playful, and helpful. But, and also like all tricksters, coyote has a dark side. It can be manipulative, deceitful, and even deadly, as the mood takes it. As for what Native American lore says of the shape-lifting abilities of the coyote, we're told that the animal can take on human form, usually in the guise of a man with a large mustache. Coyotes are said to be able to transform into the forms of birds, fish, and cats. 
Also, according to Native American mythology, witches and those familiar with magical rituals can transform themselves into coyotes. Thus, a coyote seen running wildly late at night may well be a shape-shifting witch or wizard embarking on some dark and disturbing mission. And we're far from being done with the coyote and its skills as a shapeshifter. There is a long-standing tradition among Native Americans that coyote will stalk hunters in the woods and on the plains. Then, when it closes in on its victim, coyote will supernaturally shed its coat, which it quickly throws over its quarry. It is this action that allows coyote to shapeshift into the exact appearance of its victim. Typically, legend suggests, this is done to allow the animal to have sex with the wife of the victim. Coyotes in folklore having a particular liking for women. While many people might relegate such accounts to the domain of legend, the matter of shapeshifting and coyotes continues in the world even today. It is an issue that brings us back to the mystery of the chupacabra. It was in 1995 that the phenomenon of the chupacabra exploded across Puerto Rico. In the early 2000s, however, reports began to surface suggesting that the chupacabra had somehow made its way to the United States, and specifically to the Lone Star State. In South Texas, in 2003 and 2004, ranchers reported seeing strange, hairless creatures on their properties that attacked and killed their animals, such as chickens and goats. That all of this paralleled what was afoot in Puerto Rico inevitably provoked claims that hordes of chupacabras were on the loose, and possibly all across Texas. Whereas the Puerto Rican original was described as bipedal, glowing-eyed, and winged, the monster of the Lone Star State looked like a large hairless coyote, which is exactly what it was, and still is. Unlike the situation in Puerto Rico, where a specimen has never been caught or killed, in Texas it did not take long at all before a couple of the beasts were shot by irate farmers and hit by cars. A careful study of the dead animals conclusively proved they were coyotes. But they were not normal coyotes. They had certain genetic mutations. Which brings us back to the matter of shape-shifting. In the old Native American tales, the coyote could transform itself into numerous different creatures, even that of a person. What we saw in the 2000s, however, eerily paralleled the ancient legends, but upgraded to the 21st century. What was thought to be severe cases of mange on the dead coyotes was nothing of the sort. The animals in question appeared to be mutating into a completely hairless offshoot of the regular South Texas coyote population. They had developed large overbites, and their front limbs were abnormally short, something which led them to run in an odd, hopping fashion. And there was the presence of curious pouches growing out of the upper parts of their hind legs. Strangest of all, several witnesses claimed to have seen the animals rise up onto their back legs and hold the position for several minutes as they scanned the landscape. The Texas chupacabra which was actually something arguably even stranger, was born. And yet another layer of legend was added to the mythology surrounding the coyote and its shape-shifting skills. K. 
Ken Gerhard, a noted cryptozoologist and monster hunter, suspects that the strange transformation of the Texan coyote is due to mutagens, which can affect animals at a DNA level, and almost certainly sulfur dioxide, which is a byproduct of coal-burning power plants. Notably, Ken has discovered that many sightings of these transformed coyotes have been made in the direct vicinity of Texas-based plants, something which leads him to strongly suggest this is the answer to the riddle. So, we have a shape-changing coyote in centuries-old Native American tales, and we have a changing thing in 21st century Texas. From the world of the supernatural to that of science and environmental pollution, the coyote continues to shapeshift, but in very different ways. On September 11, 2001, also known as 9-11, terrorists attacked the United States. Citizens were shocked, scared, and grieving. It was a time of deep paranoia and distrust. People wondered when and if the country would be attacked again. Then, in a matter of days, another act of terrorism shook the country. A number of letters containing spores of the bacteria that causes anthrax were sent to public figures and media outlets. People who'd been exposed to these letters, or even letters that had only come into contact with the anthrax letters, began falling ill. Anthrax is a disease that is caused by the bacteria Bacillus anthracus. It typically affects herbivorous mammals, but can infect any mammal, including humans. Most human anthrax infections result from contact with infected animals or infected animal byproducts. There are three ways to contract the disease – through open skin, breathing in spores, or ingesting the bacteria. It does not spread from one infected human to another. However, the fatal dosage is invisible to the naked eye. The anthrax letters of 2001 caused five deaths and 17 illnesses. All of them occurred in individuals who had inhaled the bacteria. Anthrax that is contracted through the lungs is the deadliest form of the disease. Symptoms start like the common cold and progress to severe difficulty in breathing. Eventually, respiration becomes so challenging that victims have described the sensation as having your head held underwater. Roughly 75% of people who contract anthrax through their lungs will die. According to the FBI, there were four letters – there are claims of more, though – and the first two went out September 18, 2001. Their intended recipients were Tom Brokaw of NBC and the New York Post. Two more were sent October 9, 2001. The intended recipients of these letters were Senators Tom Daschle and Patrick Leahy. All of the letters went out from the same mailbox in Newark, New Jersey. Through handwriting analysis, the FBI concluded that the same person wrote each of the letters. Of course, this did not rule out the possibility that a group planned the attack. The popular thinking, initially, was that a foreign terrorist group was responsible for the attack. Authorities knew that they had to quickly uncover the perpetrator. However, authorities did not uncover a foreign terrorist group. When it was found that the anthrax came from an American source, 
the FBI turned their attention to possible domestic terrorists. The first official person of interest in the 2001 Anthrax Letters case was Dr. Stephen Hatfill, an infectious disease bioweapons scientist with the U.S. Army. In 2002, under the direction of lead investigator Richard Lambert, the FBI raided his apartment wearing biohazard suits while TV cameras filmed the event. Then in August of that year, the Attorney General John Ashcroft publicly announced that Hatfield was a person of interest. Intense surveillance included tapping his phones, continuously searching his home, and scrutinizing his every move. On one occasion, FBI agents who had been following Hatfield ran over his foot when he approached their vehicle to confront them. The investigation was affecting every aspect of his life, and in 2006, the Energy Department's Oak Ridge National Laboratory illegally fired Hatfield from his job for whistleblowing. In March 2008, the FBI officially exonerated Hatfield of any wrongdoing. The courts subsequently awarded him $4.6 million in the settlement of a lawsuit he filed in 2003 against the government for violations of the Privacy Act. The next noteworthy person of interest in the anthrax letter case was an unassuming Army biodefense expert, Dr. Bruce Ivins. The FBI had concluded that the anthrax-causing bacteria had come from his laboratory. However, experts have since claimed that the FBI's evidence proved inconclusive. They subjected Bruce to the same scrutiny as Stephen. However, they found things that led them to believe that he was their guy. The doctor had a number of photos of blindfolded women on his computer. Later in the investigation, they found correspondence in which he claimed to have multiple personalities. Additionally, the FBI discovered that Bruce had a deep obsession with women. They also listened in on a conversation in which the doctor said he couldn't remember mailing any anthrax letters. He also felt that he wasn't capable of such a thing. Dr. Bruce Ivins committed suicide when he ingested a fatal amount of Tylenol in 2008. He never confessed to the crimes, nor have investigators ever found direct evidence linking him to the anthrax letters. In February of 2010, the FBI officially closed their investigation into the anthrax letters of 2001. They concluded that Dr. Bruce Ivins was responsible for the letters and that he acted alone. Many people believe that the FBI closed the case prematurely and or they based their investigation on preconceived notions. Lawrence Sellen, Ph.D., and others believe that while it could have been Ivan's, the case has yet to be thoroughly investigated. Furthermore, it is the belief of some that Ivan's mental issues, apart from his obsession with women, including his suicide, were a direct result of the investigation, not any guilt. When Weird Darkness returns, a very strange but true case from 1977 involving time travel and the power to change timelines. And in 1888, London was terrorized by the serial murderer of women who called himself Jack the Ripper. But four years later, another Jack came into existence, this one murdering men, and this time in New York City. These stories are up next. Looking for new Weird Darkness merchandise? You can check out all of the designs for t-shirts, mugs, phone or laptop cases, 
stickers, tote bags, pillows, and more. You can click on the Store tab at WeirdDarkness.com. In fact, I'm really excited about our brand new design that we just uploaded over the weekend. If you're a fan of old-time radio, which I am, in fact, if it wasn't for old-time radio, I wouldn't be doing Weird Darkness. Well, if you're a fan of that type of radio, you'll definitely want to check out the new design we just posted. It's a child, a little boy, sitting in front of an old-time radio listening to Weird Darkness. It's really cool. If you want to check it out, you can see it at WeirdDarkness.com store. It's available on t-shirts, mugs, phone cases, you name it, it's there. Again, WeirdDarkness.com and then just click on Store. Real life is always scarier than fiction. And if you are drowning in debt and you owe money to the IRS, that's absolutely terrifying. I should know. Early in our marriage, Robin and I ended up owing the IRS $10,000. We thought we'd lose the house. Well, here in 2019, the IRS recently hired private debt collection agencies to start collecting your outstanding taxes. They already have the power to garnish your wages and put liens on your property and start collecting your outstanding taxes by levying your bank account. Fortunately, you have something that I didn't. There are new IRS tax forgiveness programs that can help you free yourself from these debt collectors. Call Civic Tax Relief at 800-590-5579 to protect you from the IRS collection agencies. That's 800-590-5579. Stop the added fees and wage garnishments and finally break free from the IRS. Call Civic Tax Relief for free information right now to take your life back with their Fresh Start program. They continually get four-star reviews from people that they've helped, and now they can help you. The call is free, the consultation is free, the information is free. They could save you thousands of dollars and keep the IRS at bay. Call Civic Tax Relief at 800-590-5579. That's 800-590-5579. 800 800- 590-5579. The ability to change the past and get an insight into the future has often resulted in the creation of the most remarkable time-altering machines. A very strange case involving time travel and power to change timelines was reported in 1977. The case caused a sensation worldwide. Had Sid Hurwitch, the creator of this time-altering machine, really found a way to alter historical events? Born in 1918, Sid Hurwitch was a Jewish appliance repairman living in Toronto, Canada, who used to experiment with various kinds of technology. As a child, Sid showed great interest in collecting random junk and assembling the pieces into working machines. Later, as an adult, he became famous as the man who could fix anything that was broken. In 1934, Sid earned the distinction of being the first private appliance repairman in all of Canada. He was such a skilled technician that the local power company succeeded in taking him out of the army 
so he could develop the infrastructure of the public electrical utility. Sid Hurwitz earned enough money to set up two successful companies of his own. He was still young when he got a heart attack, only 36, and he retired. Hurwitz continued, though, to experiment with various tech devices until one day he finally invented a remarkable device that could freeze, or rather change the flow, of time. This machine also had the ability to send out beams of influence to manipulate objects in distant locations. In 1969, a wave of bank robberies swept through Toronto and local authorities had trouble catching the thieves. Hurwitz contacted the police and offered his help, saying it was possible to freeze time to find out what transpired. The article in the Vancouver Sun-Times gives this account. All I recall, said Bolton, one of the police officers in charge, is that it was under the table, the device, whatever it was, and there was a bedspread over the table. He froze my service revolver. You couldn't pull the trigger. You couldn't lift it up off the table. And even on the table, you couldn't pull the trigger. Sid responded by saying, Now take a look at your watches. I remember one of them said, When did this happen? And I said, The minute you walked through that door. You walked in there about 25 minutes ago. Now look at your watches. You're late. About 25 minutes. As the security officers filed out of his home, Sid's wife overheard one of them suggest that the army should be told about the device. That was the first time it entered my mind for war or army purposes or anything like that. As is so often happens with new, brilliant inventions, the time-altering machine was later used by the military, or so it was reported. According to an article that appeared in 1977 in a British publication called Foreign Report, Sid Hurwitz's time-altering machine ended up in Israel, where it was used by the military. According to the report, the device sends out electronic rays to alter the natural composition of electronic fields and centers of gravity of weapons, instrument dials, and mechanical devices. Using the Hurwitz principle, there was no reason why the new beams could not reach and disable tanks, ground-to-ground missiles, and complete radar systems. The beams could also be tacked together to form a screen that would make the whole zones safe from bombs and missiles. Whether the time machine is still in possession of the Israeli military or not has been widely debated. Does the Israeli military still have the Hurwitz device? Are they still using it on special occasions or in dire situations of military crisis? Skeptics say that if they really had a device that could provide a kind of shield from bombs and missiles, freeze weapons, and even slow or halt time, the Israeli military would be invincible and would not have suffered as many casualties as it has in its decades-long struggles with the antagonists in the Mideast. Others counter, however, by saying that the Hurwitz device may be a two-edged sword. If it can freeze the weapons of the enemy, it would also freeze the weapons of those employing the device. Thus, the device can perhaps only be used in a limited way, enough to knock out radar detection and other enemy electronics, for example, but not to induce the full-blown time-freeze effect for the benefit of the user, according to Bullivant Richard, who wrote this in his book True Time Travel Stories. Although many people have written and speculated about the time-altering device of Sid Hurwitz over the years, there's never been a follow-up story since it appeared in the Vancouver paper back in 1977. 
What happened to Sid Hurwich is also unclear. By now he has passed on, but it is interesting to note that researchers have not been able to find his obituary or any information about him at all. It is as if he vanished into thin air. When he talked to the police, he said, It's not really a new invention, it's designed on principles that are already well known. I just thought of it one day. When I heard about the bank robberies, I knew this could work. The time-altering machine created by Sid Hurwich could be one of the world's greatest inventions, but its whereabouts are shrouded in mystery, perhaps deliberately. On January 17, 1892, Officer Masterson of the New York City Police arrested a man the police and press had dubbed Jack the Slasher. Since December 29th, Jack the Slasher had been on a rampage, cutting the throats of seven men with a straight razor, leaving one of them dead. About 3 a.m., the morning of the arrest, Officer Masterson noticed a hard-looking man walking the streets of the Bowery and followed him to see what he was up to. The man stopped for a minute to speak with a drunk, then led the drunk down James Street. Masterson rushed in when he saw the man attack the drunk, pulling a razor across his throat. When he saw the officer, the assailant fled. Masterson fired three shots, which missed, but attracted the attention of other officers in the area. The policeman ran him down and put him under arrest. The victim, William Muller, was taken to the hospital. His wounds were severe, but he would recover. Jack the Slasher was actually Henry G. Dowd, a 30-year-old mentally ill man who had spent much of his adult life in mental institutions. He spent several years in the Flatbush Insane Asylum before escaping in 1874 by picking a lock and climbing through a transom. Soon after, he was arrested for assault and sentenced to five years in prison. He served two years, then was pardoned through the influence of rich relatives. In 1891, he was arrested in New York, judged to be insane, and committed to the asylum on Ward's Island. Six months later, he was pronounced sane by a jury of experts and released. Inspector Burns of the New York police intensely questioned Dowd and got him to admit to several of the slashings. He said that the impulse to kill was uncontrollable. He wanted to kill all Dutchmen and Germans. The reason for this is that a German had once ravished his mother at their home in Brooklyn. The face of the ravisher still haunted him and he wanted to kill any man who looked like him. The victim who had died, John Carson, a lawyer from Baltimore, had not been German, but his throat was slashed in the same area and the same time frame as the others, and it was believed that Dowd was the killer. Dowd, at first, denied killing Carson, but under continued questioning became violently excited and said, I cut him because I thought he was a Dutchman. I hate Dutchmen, and I never see one who looks like that, but what I want to kill him, I can't help it. Henry Dowd's brother John was also arrested, partially because he was known to be a religious maniac and it was suspected that the same murderous strain might run in his blood. John Dowd denounced his brother, saying he was a bad man who does not believe there is a god or in heaven or hell. E. A. White, a distant relative who had served as Henry Dowd's guardian for several years, told police that the family had come to America from Liverpool, England 
He said that Henry Dowd's assertion that his mother had been assaulted by a German was entirely untrue. It was a hallucination of Dowd's crazed intellect. When it was learned that Henry Dowd had been born in England and had traveled back several times to his homeland, it was speculated that Dowd may have, in fact, been London's Jack the Ripper come to America. Inspector Burns was quick to point out that Dowd's time was accounted for and he was not in England at the time of the Whitechapel murders. It was impossible that he was Jack the Ripper. On January 29th, Henry Dowd was tried for assault. There had not been enough evidence to charge him with the murder of John Carson, but he was caught red-handed cutting the throat of William Muller. Dowd at first claimed self-defense. Muller had shoved him and, fearing for his life, he defended himself. However, at his trial, the plea was insanity. It did not take the jury long to return a verdict of not guilty on the grounds of insanity at the time of the commission of the act. Jack the Slasher was committed to the State Asylum for Insane Criminals at Auburn, New York. If you like what you just heard, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. It's free to do so. And if you know somebody who might like this episode, please take a moment and share it with them. Do you have a dark tale to tell? You can share your story at WeirdDarkness.com and I might use it in a future episode. Also on the website, you can join the Weirdos of Marler House Facebook group to hang out with me and other listeners of the podcast. Or you can drop me an email there, if you'd like, on the contact page. I also love seeing Apple Podcast reviews. I'll often read them here in the podcast. In fact, I got a nice review from Lazy Projector via Apple Podcasts saying, Enjoy this podcast. I like that Darren reads negative reviews as well. Sometimes I cringe, but it's good that he acknowledges the good and bad. Helps the podcast grow and stay humble. Also, I love when he does the outtakes at the end. It's not often he does it, but I enjoy it. What's the clicking he does when he messes up? This podcast always entertains during work. Thanks, Darren. Well, that clicking sound, just like that, uh, well, that is actually something that I see on the actual waveform. So when I'm going back to edit uh, everything that I have voiced, I can see exactly where the mistakes were that I'd made. And then I do that clicking sound, just like that, and I can I can just uh, tune into them real quickly, find the edits. It saves a lot of time. Otherwise, I would have to go back through and listen through the entire podcast uh, you know, in real time, everything that I've recorded, and it, just, it would take way too long for me to get through that. I would never be able to do a podcast every single day if I had to listen through everything that I just recorded in order to find the errors. So I use this little trick, this little noisemaker, in order to find those edits in the waveform. All stories in this episode are purported to be true, and you can find source links or links to the authors in the show notes. Interdimensional Sasquatch was written by Brent Swanser. Spirit Creature Tortures Family was written by Radica Da Silva. Coyotes and the Chupacabra was written by Nick Redfern. Who Sent the Anthrax Letters was written by Shelley Barclay. The Machine That Could Freeze Time was written by Cynthia McKenzie. And Jack the Slasher was written by Robert Wilhelm. 
Weird Darkness is a registered trademark of Marlar House Productions. Copyright Marlar House Productions 2019. And now that we're coming out of the dark, I'll leave you with a little light. Luke 12, verses 4 and 5. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And a final thought. Sometimes miracles are just good people with kind hearts. I'm your creator and host, Darren Marlar. Thanks for joining me in the Weird Darkness. The newest title on the audiobooks page at WeirdDarkness.com is Murderous Minds Volume 3 – Stories of Real-Life Murderers That Escaped the Headlines by Ryan Becker, narrated by Weird Darkness host Darren Marlar. To what lengths will someone go in order to survive? Does the survival instinct override their conscience and allow them to commit not only murder but also the taboo act of cannibalism? What happens when a person crosses the line from dark fantasy to real-life acts of brutal rape, murder, and cannibalism? Are these people driven by a desire so insatiable that they are incapable of controlling it? Murderous Minds, Volume 3 – Stories of Real-Life Murderers That Escaped the Headlines is the latest offering in a series that takes you inside the lives of killers who committed cold-blooded murder for a glimpse at events that drove them to kill. Authored within a historical context, each chapter is an unbelievable venture inside the dark and twisted world of cannibal killers whose names and crimes might not be familiar to you. Among the killers in this audiobook, you will hear about Joachim Kroll, the diminutive man who collected dolls and loved little girls but who especially loved eating the little girls he lured with sweets, not unlike the witch from Hansel and Gretel. Alfred Packer, a man who unapologetically cannibalized men that he was hired to lead through the wilderness, but who he instead led to their doom. Sutomo Miyazaki, deformed from birth, a man whose mind became as twisted as his hands until he could no longer resist the urge to attack and cannibalize young girls. By weaving a tale in which dark fantasies become reality, this audiobook invites you to see life from a perspective very few witness – the perspective of the killer. Along with a historical look at cannibalism through the ages, these stories beg the listener to answer the question, was the murderer committing cannibalism because he was incapable of resisting the urge to kill and consume? or is the explanation simply pure evil? Get your copy today and decide what you feel actually took place in these murderous minds. Murderous Minds Volume 3 – Stories of Real-Life Murderers That Escaped the Headlines by Ryan Becker Narrated by Weird Darkness host Darren Marlar Hear a free sample and get the title for yourself on the audiobooks page at WeirdDarkness.com Hey, you made it to the end of the podcast. Congratulations. Welcome to Behind the Microphone, where I share some screw-ups I made while recording this podcast. And by scores of people from all walks of life. 
increasingly urbanized areas. By scores of people from all walks of life in increasingly urbanized areas, look through sighting reports, archives, look through the… Look through sightings reports archives from organizations such as the Bigfoot <coughs> Look through sightings reports archives from organizations such as the Bigfoot Field Research Organization or BFRO. Here's another notion that it is all a nation span Here is another notion that it is as all a nation that it is here is another notion that it is all a nation-spanning urban legend that sprawls across cultures and that's all tapestry of myth cultures and is all a tapestry of misidentifications not through hard work but rather through a trip to the forests of Gina but rather through a trip to the for hard work but rather through a trip to the forests of Guiana. So, we have a shape-changing So, we have a shape-changing coyote in centuries-old Native American tales and and we have a changing thing in 21st century Texas. It typically affects herbivore It typically affects herbivorous mammals, but can inflect but can infect any mammal, including humans. Sid Herwich's time-altering machine ended up in Israel. Ended up in Israel, where it was used. Ended up in Israel, where it was used by the military. Dowd at first denied killing Carson, but under continued questioning, became. Dowd at first denied killing Carson. But under Dowd at first denied killing Carson, but under continued questioning became violent, but under continued questioning became violently excited. <laughs>